It's Wednesday, December 1st, 2021, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the studio at the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my colleagues, Ron Kelly and Ernest Perry. On our program this week, CNN's Chris Cuomo wasn't on the air last night. The network suspended him indefinitely and says that it's looking into how involved he was in helping his brother, the former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, as he faced charges of sexual harassment. I was actually watching a soap opera. Thing went across Newsbreak or whatever they call them, and, and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. We're going to talk about Kevin Strickland's exoneration and release from a Missouri prison after 43 years and the role that the Kansas City Star's reporting played in that. And it looks like the hedge fund that bought Tribune Company and gutted it a few years back is now putting its sights on the owner of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. There's a lot more that hopefully we'll get to today before our half hour is up. But I want to start by talking about the Omicron variant just before we came in and sat down. Ron, you had told me you saw on one of the TVs right above um, our Futures Lab newsroom that it is here in California. Yeah, we had our first confirmed case in California. Not surprised. No, yeah. and, and I should say, because this is Missouri, we are talking about California, the state, yes, not California, yes, Missouri. Yes, it's yes. not that close to home as of yet, um, but it is now here in the United States. And this wave of uncertainty that has come and washed over us with the arrival of this new variant. There are travel bans, new recommendations about the urgency of getting boosters and no real answers as of yet as to whether or not it's an oh no or an oh. Okay, so a lot of the headlines have had a here's what we know right now tone to them. Ernest, in your opinion, does that help get information out there or does that lead to more skepticism? Well, I I think in some ways it does both. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets the here's what we know now information out there, but it also creates this sort of hysteria, a little bit of hysteria uh, and people starting to feel as if, you know, wait a minute, we've gone through all of these things already. We talked about Delta. We've we've talked about the initial uh, the initial outbreak of, of, of coronavirus. We've we've done the vaccines. We've done the maskings. We've had the mandates. We've fought through the mandates. Uh, and now here we are again with another uh, another variant. And it so seems to be moving from from crisis to crisis to crisis because we want to have some sort of finality and the finality is not there. And it's and 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 the the, the scientists have been saying this all along is that there are going to be variants of this. Uh, But I don't think we were listening to what they meant by variant, the fact that the the disease would morph into to into something else. Uh, and that's what that's what they and that's what they do. Uh, and, and we aren't kind of we, we're not catching on to that. Yeah, our, our coverage seems to make it seem like it's a constant crisis that we're in. Uh, and we don't seem to have any new information, but we just keep saying it's here, it's here, it's here. But we're not really reporting any new information. Um, I did watch Chuck Todd's uh, interview on Meet the Press on Sunday with Dr. Fauci, and I thought that was a good interview. He asked a lot of good questions uh, and answered a lot of questions that I think people had on their mind. So that was a, provided a lot of good information. But then I watched kind of some of the morning shows this week, every morning that I get up, and it just seems like 
they don't have any new information, but yet it's the, still the top story. Uh, and then kind of creating this kind of little bit of a hysteria uh, about this new variant. And I think the travel bans that were instituted in Europe uh, also, uh, also didn't help. Uh, because it, it made it seem as if okay, if Europe is if Europe is in in, in travel lockdown again, then inevitably we're going to be in, in, in lockdown. Right. And there has been a lot of criticism as well among governmental leaders in the African countries, seven or eight of them that have been affected by this, saying that really all that that has managed to do is fuel racism and misunderstanding in the way that coverage has been happening. No, ab absolutely. And the, the, the thing that that is concerning for me in watching this is that uh, they're talking about how it's spreading, but they aren't saying very much about what are the symptoms of this? Are they are the symptoms similar? Are 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 people who have this new variant are are their their symptoms harsher? Uh, do they come out of it quickly? Uh, of course, we don't have any information about how effective the the uh, vaccines are against this new variant. They're still saying we're about a week and a half to two weeks out from knowing that information. So that sort of just leads into this 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 sort of uh, bit of hysteria because the information is coming out slowly, but it takes time because it's not like watching CSI. Or one of the other Wait, shows. Wait, it's not where, all over in yeah, 54 yeah, yeah. minutes? Right, right. And I think that's part I really <laughs> Wait, do. you zip through the commercials on the DVR? I think that's part of the problem. I really do is that, you know, because people are so used to watching these shows, they expect that science to work that quickly. Yeah. When in fact it doesn't. I mean, anyone who is, you know, especially journalists like myself who've worked on, uh, worked close to police know that they don't solve crimes that quickly. That the CSI van doesn't show up and then the next day they have the blood test back. It doesn't work like that. So that I think is part of the issue too. So you raised a really good point about that, Ron, too, because I was having a conversation completely unrelated with one of our colleagues at another university who I had worked with previously. And we were kind of talking actually in the context of 9-11, like to kind of connect these, but not. And um, at the time he was a beat reporter who was covering United American and Southwest. That was his beat on 9-11. And he, he quickly cursed the entire event for what it did to audiences' expectations and appetites for news coverage for ongoing situations like this because everybody wanted the information now, even if it didn't exist. It was this 24-hour appetite. And that's exactly what you're describing here. We're going to yeah. continue to fill that time and talk about this, even yeah. if we don't have anything new to tell you. Yeah, and it's something, you know, we teach our journalism students that I, I kind of wanted to mention that yeah. we're expected to be aware of the consequences of what we publish and broadcast. Uh, we're expected to show some humanity because of the consequences of what we publish and broadcast uh, because we want to make sure it's helpful to the public and not harmful to the public of what we are putting out, the information we're putting out there. And so I think as journalists, we have to be careful of not doing, putting information out there that is causing hysteria or that is not helpful to the public. Okay, well, so another thing as journalists that we want is transparency. That was a really good segue. You didn't realize you were yes. giving me that, thank you. Um, we go out of our way to avoid conflicts of interest. We don't report on our family and we don't use our personal connections or professional connections to gain access or information to benefit ourselves or those close to us. So let's rewind a few months. We're going back to August 16th. 
After Chris, Chris Cuomo, I have a hard time with that. After Chris <laughs> Cuomo's brother, Andrew, resigned as New York State's governor following a series of substantiated sexual misconduct allegations, he returned to his C, uh, CNN anchor desk and hosted his primetime program. He opened the show that night, August 16th, with a statement that included this. There are stories and critics saying all kinds of things about me, many unsupported. But know this, my position has never changed. I never misled anyone about the information I was delivering or not delivering on this program. I never attacked nor encouraged anyone to attack any woman who came forward. I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. I never influenced or attempted to control CNN's coverage of my family. And as you know, back in May, when I was told to no longer communicate with my brother's aides in any group meetings, I acknowledged it was a mistake. I apologized to my colleagues and I stopped and I meant it. It was a unique situation being a brother to a politician in a scandal and being part of the media. I tried to do the right thing and I just want you all to know that. So last night, Anderson Cooper sat in Cuomo's seat during the 8 p.m. hour. His show expanded to two hours and Chris Cuomo is now indefinitely suspended from the network because Monday, the New York Attorney General released a trove of documents and interview transcripts that completely contradict everything you just heard Cuomo say there. These documents show that there were text messages in which advisors to his brother's uh, defense and his administration asked Chris Cuomo to check his sources, and he said in that text, on it. Um, and Chris Cuomo acknowledged to investigators in interviews he did with them that he tried to attempt to get more information about a story that Ronan Farrow was working on, figuring out where he was in that reporting and where and when that story might come out. Now, Chris Cuomo defended those practices as being completely conventional. Ron, your response to that's just conventional professional courtesy and practice. No. No, it's not. <laughs> I think um, there's a code of ethics that we have in the profession of journalism. Uh, and I think if the documents show that he did what he did, alleged what he did, that he crossed the line. Uh, and so I think he's probably going to be gone for good. Well, so... Ernest, we have been talking about this conflict of interest going back to those cutesy-wootsy uh, interviews that were going right. on at the beginning of the right. pandemic, talking about this in May when these allegations started coming to light, again in August when he returned. Is this finally, do you think, that moment where CNN has no choice but to... to I think it's fine. It's it's finally the moment where it had no choice. But you know, this was one of those things where you know you see the headlights coming, and eventually they, they it's going to get. They keep to getting you. brighter and yeah. brighter yeah, and brighter. brighter. And this is where we are. I mean, we we saw this coming, going all the way back to those cutesy interviews that he was doing with his brother uh, uh, back at the beginning of the pandemic, and maybe even further back than that. Part of the issue here is that CNN. Mm -hmm put his ratings and the ratings of his show ahead of the right thing to do as it relates to ethical behavior on the part of someone who is in their employ. And they could have dealt with this back then 
when it first came out, they could have said, look, you need to make a decision. Either you're going to help your brother or you're going to be working on your show. You can't do both. So it's been kind of insinuated in some of the media opinion columns, um, Eric Wemple from the Washington Post among those saying that Chris Cuomo's scandal is Jeff Zucker's scandal. That Jeff Zucker, who came to CNN from NBC, where there were other underlying issues, hint, hint, Matt Lauer, coming to CNN, that this is a reflection on him as much as it is on Chris Cuomo and his lack of ethics. Well, absolutely, it's a reflection on the leadership. You had, you had a, a, as I said, you had an opportunity to deal with this. You chose not to. You could have basically given him a choice and said, you can either do this or you can do this, but we're not gonna continue to do what we're doing right now. And they didn't, they didn't, Zucker didn't make the choice or somebody above him didn't make the choice and it should have been made. And now they find themselves as NBC found itself, as CBS found itself in the middle of, of a scandal that could have been dealt with if they had just said, wait a minute, you can't do both of these things. You're gonna, you're gonna have to do this. It seems like it's an example of putting um, profits above ethics. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. yes. It, it, it absolutely is. One of the other things too that I noticed yesterday, um, I had left work, had settled what our show was gonna be, sent scripts to the two of you and to Travis McMillan and Aaron, hey, we were ready to go, I'm driving home and I start hearing in push alerts from the Associated Press and from the Washington Post and from, um, almost every major news organization you can imagine that this has happened. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going home, I'm sitting in the chair, in my recliner chair, and I'm rewriting the show. And I turn on CNN, and I was watching CNN for two hours and 20 minutes before there was any mention of what had happened with what was ostensibly a big breaking story, because this isn't just this isn't just unethical behavior on the part of a journalist. This is unethical behavior on the part of a journalist who was working to help the sitting governor of one of the most populous states in the country. This is pretty big news. CNN didn't mention it until two minutes before Cuomo should have been on the air, but was reporting breaking news on COVID and the Omicron yes. uh, variant on a Michigan school shooting on food prices as breaking news. But no mention of this until it was like the moment he should have been there and wasn't. Yeah, well, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Because, you know, I would say uh, the Michigan school uh, Michigan school shooting should was, have been was, the lead was more in important. every hour, yeah. Yeah. every yeah, half absolutely. hour. No that question. was more important. Yes. the economy is more important. Uh, the 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 coronavirus variant is is more. Those have more of an impact on people's everyday lives, lives than the the network itself dealing with the crisis that they actually should have been a, should have dealt with months ago in a way that that would not have led to what happened mm -hmm. yesterday so I, I don't have a problem with with the way in which they handled it um, and they were probably also trying to to do some crisis management uh, on the part of how do we how do we spin this to not make us look ridiculous yeah they were probably trying not to create too much attention yeah. okay. Well, Missouri made national news last week as the state's longest serving incarcerated person was exonerated and replete, uh, released from a prison in the northwest corner of the state. 
Kevin Strickland was convicted in the deaths of three people in a Kansas City home in 1979, primarily on evidence and testimony from the one woman who was in the house that day who survived the incident. Her statements have since been recanted and the evidence against Strickland had been disproven. He spoke with reporters upon leaving the Western Missouri Correctional Center. It needs to be torn down and redone. Just from from the from the from the arresting officer to the presiding judge. I mean, it, it don't work. I mean, it worked here in the long run, but it took 43 years to get here. And when they knew from day one that I wasn't the person that committed that crime, they knew. So it, it needs to be revamped as much as corrections need to be revamped. They just, it's, it's, it's a lot. To watch and to see Kevin Strickland in the last week or so has been, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to use the word joyful, but to even continue to hear the reporting that the star has done with him yesterday, you can read some mm -hmm. interviews that have been done in the last couple of days as he has uh, begun the re-entry process. Um, the stories that have been coming out in the last week and a half or so about a GoFundMe in which people have donated more than a million dollars to help him restart his life. All of this is the result of years of reporting from the Kansas City Star in order to help him get that evidentiary hearing that ended up leading to his exoneration. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the Kansas City Star did a did an excellent job in the, I want to say, two to three years of reporting that they've done on this. However, yes, I have to say this. Okay. If the Kansas City Star had done that same kind of reporting at some point in the forty years prior, or when the case, or when the case actually came, we may not have gotten to this point. Okay, this is one of the things that has really bothered me about many of these exoneration cases okay. as it relates to the the to journalism and to the news media is that we want to pat ourselves on the back for the work that we've done to help exonerate, but we but we we need to own up to the fact that had we done that kind of of of, of hard reporting and questioning what the prosecutors were doing, what the police were doing at the time, maybe we wouldn't have even gotten to this point. But as we've seen in a lot of these cases, that doesn't happen if, because we tend to take the sides of the authority unless okay. there is something that is very compelling that forces us to look in another direction, i.e. George Floyd. Right, and so let's let's kind of back up here, and Ron, maybe this is something you can speak to. How much of that, too, though, is about shifting attitudes and perceptions and reflection? I mean, you're talking about decades ago, we're talking about the war on crime. We're talking about the crime bill. Like, if we think about everything that has happened, okay, yeah, there's the last three years, but the last 40 years and the perspectives on that reliance on authority and how really we're at this reckoning point where we're examining some of these cases that 15 years ago, even five years ago, we wouldn't have questioned police in the same way or prosecutors in the same way. We had a different level of trust in them. Yeah, it seems like though there were some examples of them to question authorities okay. because one of the people that admitted to the crime said that he, he was not there. involved. So where was the journalism then okay. to look Fair. more into that Fair. at that point to 
do a better investigative story to look more into that and do some of the reporting that they did in the last couple of years yeah. to, 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 to do the right story. So, I mean, really, I, I mean, I don't want to take away from what the Kansas City yeah. Stars did uh, mm-hmm. and, and the Innocence Project, okay, uh, yeah, which, yeah. which really did the bulk of the work to help bring this case to light. And the Innocence Projects that have gone on all over the country, they're doing a magnificent yeah, job. I agree. But one yeah. of the things that bo- that, that is, has bothered me for a long time, even going back to when I was covering courts and covering police, is that many of the journalistic practices that we do every day contribute to this because we don't question authority and recognize that there is some inherent biases in the way in which they operate, but there are also biases in the way in which we operate. And that's something that we really need to take a look at. Yeah, and that goes to the stereotyping, I think, of, that we do in our coverage uh, and how we um, do journalism, have done journalism over the last 30, 40 years. It, it does. I just, I also think about and maybe this is a reflection for me as a white woman, and as I'm hearing what both of you are saying, it's almost that that bias of well, the police told me that it was okay, that that this was a good, that this was a a, a good collar, if you will. Or I think about again being in Chicago and all of the cases that John uh, Detective John Burge was involved with, the torture cases. He was doing his job. That's what it was supposed to be. Today in 2021. And since George Floyd and since uh, Michael Brown, and we have a greater sensitivity to where our biases are that we maybe didn't take the time to think about previously. We have reason reason to question authority because what they what they say in yeah. their in their reports and in their press releases is different from what we see in social media of people who are actually filming what they're doing that's true yeah. too that yeah. there are also advances in technology yeah. as well that that have really um but like, have changed that now. Yeah, but like Ernest said, this still was an amazing story. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So and it was, uh, you know, kudos to Kansas City Star for at least getting it right yeah. now. Yes. This time. And that Kevin Strickland is, again, free and having an opportunity to move on with his life. Let's move east now to St. Louis, where all eyes are on the owners of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Lee Enterprises is fighting off what appears to be a hostile takeover by Alden Global Capital. That's the hedge fund that bought and has cut, cut, cut at the Tribune newspapers. Right now, it's looking like Alden is reopening the playbook from the Tribune days, trying to seat three people onto the board and begin that takeover process. What's happening there, and, and what's Lee's response to try to fight it? Well, you know, I changed the formula if the formula's working. Yeah, I mean, it worked you know, pretty well, It, it worked it? pretty well on, on all of their other acquisitions yeah. in, in newspapers, and it's, it's it's likely to work here, too. I mean, one of the things that Lee's trying to do is they're trying to stall, and they're trying to stall for time to figure out a way in which to, to not have Alden come in and, and, and take over, which I think would be a, a good thing for the papers that are owned by Lee. Uh, and... Even when when Lee bought these papers, there was concern that they had done it in a way that was going to open themselves up to exactly what's happening right now. They leveraged a lot of their own capital and went into uh, significant debt in order to buy up the the papers that they did back when they bought the Post-Dispatch, and now they find themselves in this situation. So uh, I'm I'm hoping that, that it won't come to that, but I would be shocked if it did. Yeah, and I guess one of our colleagues who normally sits in the seat, Kathy 
Kylie. Yes, she uh, is. She is away. We, we're glad you're here with us today. Yes, uh, calls this potential purchase a disaster for democracy. Uh, I think she said in one of our columns that she yes. wrote about this, uh, because it's putting greed uh, above democracy, and so it could definitely hurt local news, uh, and maybe create um, if they this goes through, maybe create some news deserts uh, in some places uh, because of the way they have done. Uh, things in the past with other news publications that they bought. I have some of that concern. I also look to the West and I see that McClatchy, now owned by a hedge fund that mm -hmm. owns the Kansas City Star, looking to Alden, which could potentially own the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I look down to Springfield, where the news leader is owned by the Gannett and Gatehouse chain, which we have also talked about is the owner of the Columbia Daily Tribune here in town, also gutting papers. I worry about the state of independent news and community journalism here in the state of Missouri when that's where the ownership is for some of the largest papers in our state. Well, I mean, it's it's a problem that's not only here in Missouri, it's across the country, and, and there are efforts, uh, in particular efforts with the uh, Build, Back, uh, Build Back America. The Build Back uh, Better Bill, Plan. Build yeah. Back Better Plan that, that uh, the president is pushing. Mm -hmm. There is there's money set aside to try to stem the tide of, of what's happening in terms of the loss of news in these small communities. And and to, to promote lo local independent journalism in ways that hadn't been done before. But that's if those, those particular initiatives remain in the bill. Okay, well, before we go, we've got to talk about this one. Dr. Oz wants a new job. <laughs> COVID has shown us that our system is broken. We lost too many lives, too many jobs, and too many opportunities because Washington got it wrong. They took away our freedom without making us safer, and tried to kill our spirit and our dignity. Now, as a heart surgeon, I know how precious life is. Pennsylvania needs a conservative who will put America first, one who can reignite our divine spark, bravely fight for freedom, and tell it like it is. That's why I'm running for Senate. So if you were to take a close look at that campaign announcement, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's on our Lynx blog, it's on YouTube, you will see he's using all of the same graphics and fonts from his syndica uh, syndicated talk show, and the show's website has now been taken over as his campaign website. So in some ways, it's starting to feel like we've moved from the reality show president to the talk show senator? Yeah. yeah, we also we almost got Matthew McConaughey, the actor, the, <laughs> running, running for, for the governor, governor of Texas. Texas. But hey, he's, he's also yes. a professor. That's right, at UT. That's right. At, at, yeah. I just hope the media doesn't overdo its uh, coverage of. This. Talk like about it, what you're worried about there. Of, of how we did with uh, former President Trump when okay. he was running the first time. Uh, I just worry that we overdo our coverage of these celebrities running for office. Um, and I just think we overdo it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we pay enough attention to what exactly are they saying. What yeah, are the, yeah. you know, where do you stand on certain yeah. issues? What, what, what experience do you bring to the table? I mean, I think we get so caught up in the celebrity, celebrity the oddity of it. Yes, the oddity of it that we don't really do get a deep dive into who is this person and yeah. what do they have? Well, what oh, they so, so here you raise such a really good point because I will tell you when this news broke yesterday, I had a text from a friend. I, well, actually, it was a Facebook messenger, uh, a, a message from a friend, a text from my mom, 
I ran into the office of Travis McMillan, our director. Wave, Travis, if you're behind me. And um, we uh, we all at once were like, wait a minute. We're talking about Dr. Oz, who's the guy who was selling junk science and, and weird- Was selling junk okay, science. He is, <laughs> is selling junk science on his talk show and some of these weird diets and diet pills, who's basing an entire campaign for Senate claiming that COVID science isn't real and it's not helping or protecting people. Right, right. And those are the questions that need to be asked. Along with, it's not just about that. If you're gonna be the US Senator for the state of Pennsylvania, what are you gonna do about all of these other issues? You know, and that I think is what's really important. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well that music means we are pretty much out of time for this week. I'd like to thank you for spending the last half hour with us. You can read more about each of the topics we talked about today on our links blog. That's under both the programs and podcast tabs at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcast downloads. That's also iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter. The handle there is at views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again, leave comments, questions, see what we'll be talking about next week, and more. Our thanks to RJI's Travis McMillan for directing today's show and to Aaron Hay for handling our audio. Tim Pilcher composed the theme music. I'm Amy Simons. We'll be back with you next week for another Views of the News.